Hello, welcome back to Kinda Radical. This is the episode post-Halloween, and I had said at the end of last episode that I was so excited to update you all on Halloween. If you know me, you know how much I love this holiday. It does rank number two on my all-time favorite holiday lists. Number one is coming up in a while. So you'll see what that is when I get to that month. Um, so I'm going to give you a quick overview of just a few like welcome things. Some some admin tasks, if you will. But first, I do want to update you on my Halloween weekend. I was only one as one costume. The Beatles costume that I was planning on being a part of did not unfortunately come into fruition. So I was the Onceler. The Onceler is the guy that wears the green suit and chops down all the trees from the Lorax. It was a super fun and unique costume. I really loved it. I had a great time, went out with some friends and got to catch up with some people I haven't spoken to in a while. Other than that, I went home a few weeks ago. It was super nice to be back home in the cooler weather. Did a lot of fall things like pumpkin patch and apple cider donuts and we watched Hocus Pocus. You know, did some, like, fall family fun stuff that kind of rejuvenated me. Um, Other than that, I've been so, so, so busy. Work has been absolutely insane. School has been super crazy. And my personal life is super, super busy. So I feel like I'm kind of just, like, taking it day by day, just trying to, like, get everything under my belt as quickly and efficiently as possible. But I am super excited that I can always scrape out time to do this podcast. Um, Speaking of school, though, this week I have to register for classes. And this is significant because it is the last semester of undergrad before I graduate next May. And that has recently dawned upon me that it'll be the last time I'm picking classes. And I do want to get my master's, but I mean, things change. You never really know where life's going to go. So as of right now, I know that I'll graduate in May. And I know that this week will be the last time I ever have to wake up at 6 a.m. and pick my classes for next semester and hope that I get them and that everything works. So that has been a lot to swallow on top of everything else. It's been super hectic and busy. And then I'm going to kind of use this to transition into what we're talking about today. We have a lot to talk about. It's something that is super important to me that I've wanted to research and look into and find a platform to share this about for a long time now. So I'm excited that I get to share it here. But things that also make me anxious, make me feel, this is relating to me saying I feel busy a lot. Things that make me feel anxious or I'd say like a trigger for me is media and the news that I absorb through the media. More often than not negative, um, a lot of negative things have been happening in the news recently. Today we're going to talk about one of those things and this will now transition into a trigger warning. Today's podcast we're going to be talking about mass shootings that can turn into mass murders. Um, This has affected people 
all over the country. So if you feel that today this is going to be any form of anxiety trigger or stressor that you don't need in your life, please just skip the episode, come back next month. But there is going to be some really interesting research and things that I discussed today, so if you can, I would love it if you listen. And I want to finish this welcome part up by saying that I hope that me doing this research and using this platform is kind of seen as me taking my thoughts and my prayers and kind of going to the next step with that. Hopefully this is more policy and change, um, more action than I feel like is often taken. Maybe someone will listen to this and can do something with it. Maybe one day I can do something with it. I would like to. I'm trying to get there. But this is step one for me. And so along with, of course, my thoughts and prayers, I'm sending out this podcast episode with some in-depth research and analysis. I would also like to say that this episode and episodes I'm doing after this will be at a new level. I have received some feedback about my podcast that I think is going to help me, and I'm here in the big leagues now. No more playing around. This is, I'm talking stats, I'm naming sources, we're going into a deeper analysis. This is real. I want this to make a change. I want this to get me somewhere. So this is my step towards my future. And we're not playing, not playing with my future no more. I got to graduate soon. I've got things to do. So let's just get this thing started. So this episode is regarding the shooting in Maine that happened last Wednesday. Robert Card opened fired in two different places, a bowling alley and a restaurant in Lewiston, Maine, a little bit outside of Portland, Maine. He has since been found dead after a two-day manshot, or I'm sorry, two-day manhunt. He had died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound, so he did commit suicide. He killed himself. He also killed 18 other people, and as of right now, I believe that there are 13 others who are injured. So that happened last Wednesday. Um, Over the weekend, over Halloween weekend, there was also a series of other smaller shootings in various places across the U.S. at many Halloween functions. That was according to CNN. I think that there were another 11 people that died over Halloween in different shootings. Um, So just to make sure we're all on the same page before we get into talking about this, I'm going to define two different things. One of those is a mass shooting. The other is a mass murder. So first, a mass shooting is a shooting in which four or more people are shot, not including the gunman. A mass murder is a shooting in which four or more people are shot and killed, not including the gunman. So the difference is if the shots are fatal. So according to Associated Press News, this shooting last Wednesday in Maine was the 36th mass murder to take place in 2023, So that means that more than four people were shot and killed. Um, This year is the second highest year for mass murders in U.S. history. And the year 2019 leads, and that had 41 mass murders. Um, Different places, different sources said different things. 
Associated Press News said that 190 people have been killed in 2023 due to gun fatalities regarding mass murders. Um, different sources say a huge, huge numbers or smaller numbers. One source said 20,000 people are fatally shot from gun violence each year, but it does not go into specifics on how many of those are from mass murders and mass shootings. So what does this have to do with my podcast, which talks about feminism and women's rights? Well, I will tell you. According to data from The Violence Project, only 2% of mass shooters in history have been women. That, of course, leaves 98% of the shootings that are carried out by men. This was not a surprising statistic to me. I had recognized this trend a long time ago. Um, I already know that if there's violence involved, men are more likely to use guns, um, whether that be homicide, self-defense, or suicide. But 98% of the time, (laughs) this huge problem that our country exclusively is facing carried out by men, and more often than not, they are white men. Um, Again, different sources say different things. So New York Times had said that since 1966, only four instances of mass shootings have ever been carried out by women, and two of those four involved women working with men. That has a lot of layers to get into. We're not really going to go into that. (laughs) But that leaves two mass shootings in history. Okay, since 1966, so since this research started, um, only twice has has mass shootings been carried out by women acting alone. And until this year, I believe it was March, where a born female, transgender male, um committed a mass murder at a K through 12 school. Um, which one, that one's cut, the lines are quite blurred on that, but there has never been a self-identified female who uses she, her pronouns to, uh, commit a mass shooting or mass murder at a K through 12 school. Those are a hundred percent male. All right. So we have those statistics under the belt So why are men more likely to be mass shooters? Why are men mass shooters more than women? 98% more likely than women. Well, the Violence Project, who has this data, who has the 2%, 98% data, they say it's because men are naturally more violent, that there is something biologically different between men and women that causes men to naturally be more violent, so they're naturally more inclined to do something like this. Um, That's a bullshit answer, and it is simply untrue. There are very few, very, very few um, natural biological differences between an average man and an average woman, whether that be physical composition, brain composition, obviously personality depends on the person, but biologically and naturally there are very few differences between the two sexes. So clearly we can rule out the fact that men are naturally more violent. 
this is not a question of nature versus nurture because it's clearly nurture. We can just put a big fat red X through nature. The violence project got it wrong. This has nothing to do with nature. This has everything to do with nurture. And if you don't know what that means, nature would be like natural biology. Nurture would be like how you're raised and how society kind of shapes you into who you are. So nurture, how are men nurtured and raised differently than females? Well, Let's start with boys. <laughs> boys are raised to be more violent, but more aggressive, more violent, less emotional, tougher. That is clear. That is very standard. That is traditional. It is changing bit by bit now, but that is how it goes. They are extremely violent. They're raised to be tough, manly. Young boys often watch male role models. That could be older brothers. Dads, uncles, cousins, friends, teachers, just people on the streets. They see this in real life or in film or TV or on social media. These men externalize their anger and their problems by yelling, shoving, fighting, violence. Um, these acts can be enforced through their parents. Maybe their parents say, suck it up, be a man. Big boys don't cry. Rub some dirt in it. Get over it. You know? So that gets their parents. A lot of times there's very old-fashioned grandparents. Um, this can also be outside of the family through classrooms. Teachers can say things. I know it's very common. Maybe not so much anymore. When I was growing up, it was very common for boys and girls to be treated differently in classrooms, in other activities, specifically sports. Um... Girls were allowed to have a little bit more leniency with physical activity, with getting hurt, with feeling sad. Boys were given zero leniency. Um, this can happen through friends. Uh, other, like I said, other activities, and then specifically sports that just kind of requires men to be tough all the time. Injuries aren't taken as seriously. And so because of this, because they're nurtured this way, they're not taught necessary coping skills about how to work through things like work through hard situations because when you're just told get over it you don't you don't know what that means and so when a boy or as they grow older a man faces some sort of adversity they're expected to just work through it with no help from anybody there's no base there so a lot of mass shootings have started because a man was fired from his job or broken up with. Robert Card, the main shooter, did recently end a relationship with his girlfriend. So, <laughs> just another example. So they face any, face any sort of adversity and then have no coping skills or adulting skills on how to get through that. And this becomes so overwhelming because he doesn't know what to do. So instead of learning how to work through that, um, it's pretty easy to resort to violence. On top of this, men are less likely, this is the, this is the kicker for me. Men are less likely to have emotionally dependent relationships than women since they're not talk, taught to talk about their feelings like girls are. So this can be between family members, other men 
and other women though men if men do say they have emotionally dependent relationships it is most likely with another woman so it's most likely a man saying yes i do have a relationship where i can talk about my feelings it's most often with a girlfriend or wife it's rarely with another man so they're just not taught to depend on each other like that and have um, open emotional relationships where you can talk about hard things um this is an incredible coping skill one of i mean that's how i get through things is by leaning on people around me people i love and trust who i can talk about my feelings with whether that be my mom or my brother or my boyfriend or lots of friends both men and women i have those open relationships where i can emotionally talk through things so that's my biggest coping skill um it's a great to have a supportive base and men who do not have this again more likely to find violence as an appealing solution so then we turn to women and we can just clearly see how on the other hand girls are raised to be more open they talk through their problems they're allowed to cry they're they're supported when they cry they have a better support system that is based on deeper emotional connections and boys just simply lack that women are actually proven i did i read this in this little tiny book i can't remember what it was called it was so fun um women are actually proven to handle most ad- adverse situations better than men because they do have these better support systems so for example when a man and woman go through a breakup the woman will handle it better because she has she is more likely to have people to lean on that she can talk about her feelings with and cry to where a man is less likely to have that so the breakup will be harder on him because he lacks that support system so on top of the fact that boys and men lack typical coping skills to get them through hard situations and a strong supportive emotional base there is also a very specific problem to america which gets us to this whole problem of mass shootings and that is gun culture gun culture in the u.s starts so young for boys so young they have nerf guns water guns, BB guns, paintball guns, have a slingshot or a potato shooter, whatever you want. Any sort of gun projectile is like idolized as such a cool toy. And then on top of this, as I was growing up, there were first person shooter video games. And before everyone gets their fucking knickers in a twist, Let me just say that this was a huge argument when I was growing up. These games got popular probably like third, fourth, fifth grade. I think they were just coming out. Um, Everyone got so mad because all these moms were like, these are too violent. I don't want a violent kid. And all these kids said, they don't make us more violent. They like, I have no more intention to shoot someone now than I did before I played. You know, like they're not going to make me go shoot someone or want a gun or anything so i'm not on either side of that argument i'm just saying that these were like the most popular video games and everyone played them and that is just an example that i am using as idolizing gun culture in the u.s 
So this is a very America-specific problem. Mass shooting is a very America-specific problem. I think that we should be able to draw some parallels there to the fact that we glorify <laughs> guns and weapons as toys starting so young, and then they're like hobbies, and there's gun shows and shooting ranges, and everyone goes fucking nuts. Okay, anyway, moving on. <laughs> I read this book a while ago. It's called Lost Boys why our sons turn violent and how we can save them this was written in 1999 by james garbarino this book is about how young boys are exposed to violence and guns what attracts them to it how slash how they are introduced to it um and then it goes through tactics that can make a boy less violent as he gets older and grows up so i remember reading this book i think it was in 2021 it was like right before i went to college and I was reading this book and I had to keep closing it. Like literally I would read a sentence and I was so dumbstruck. I would have to close the book and pause and just think about what he said. And it was very quickly that I realized I should start writing some of this shit down because he said some very impactful things. Uh, I happened to have found that list when I was working on getting this podcast ready. So I am going to read a few of those quotes here now. So on page 28, Garbarino writes, Inside almost every violent teenager I've spoken to is an untreated, traumatized child. He also writes on page 56, This kind of role reversal where the child is the protector and the parent is needy is common in the lives of violent boys. I lumped those two together because they're both relating to trauma. Um, we're going to get into that more later, but it is very clear for all sorts of violent situations, whether that's gun violence or whatever, for men or for women, that that often starts through a cycle of violence, where you commit violence if you have had violence done onto you, and that begins from trauma as a young child or as an adolescent. So he says, talking about like kind of some tactics to deal with this, on page 66, he writes, Violence prevention programs and effective classroom management techniques in first grade can have a dramatic effect on the likelihood that an aggressive six-year-old will become a violent 13-year-old. So an aggressive six-year-old, I think a lot of people would say like, oh, he'll grow up, he'll grow out of it. And he doesn't. <laughs> and then he's a violent 13-year-old. So if you do certain things in, I mean, this talks about in the classroom, but you could have programs everywhere or work harder at home or have a better support system or teach those coping skills in sports and extracurriculars and in classrooms and with friends and family, you're going to reduce that effect of aggression. So those are just a few quotes from the book. Um, I highly recommend the book. It is slightly outdated because it came out in 1999 and there's been like a huge increase in shootings since then through like the media glorification of those. Uh, but it has some great analysis on like Columbine, which is, we're going to get into that example later. Um, so again, that is Lost Boys by James Garbarino. So now we're going to get into more of the mental health side of things, which the bottom line is that poor mental health is the biggest stressor and biggest encouraging thing that would start someone or which would like encourage someone to do a mass shooting or mass murder. So when something negative does occur to anyone, regardless of gender, 
Um, it's really easy to feel sad and depressed or angry or hopeless or isolated. And violence, on the other hand, feels very empowering when all these other doors are shut. Which is why a lot of people turn to suicide and homicide. And suicide specifically is highly intertwined with mass shootings since nearly every mass shooter ends up dead either by the hands of a police officer or a self-inflicted gunshot wound as we saw with Robert Card in Maine. Um, but most of the time the suicide is overlooked by the media um, and it's overlooked by the other deaths that the shooter caused and his death is I would say appreciated it's really hard for people to see past take the taking of innocent lives which is fair which is it that is very difficult to see but when to see past but when you do look past that um, you see that there was a person a child who experienced trauma and did not have coping skills or friends and family to lean on and grew up with that trauma and had horrible mental health and felt that they deserved to die and other people deserved to die and they were just a sad and lonely kid. And we don't see that a lot of the times. So professors Jillian Peterson and James Densley have created a profile that matches almost every mass shooter in history, which is mostly male. So this is information from their book published in 2021 titled The Violence Project, How to Stop a Mass Shooting Epidemic. And they argue that by knowing this profile, we can stop mass shooters before they do something dangerous like taking lives. So this is the profile of a mass shooter. First, we have often a boy. As a child or adolescence, they experience some sort of trauma that remained untreated. By untreated, I mean no therapy, they were not removed from that traumatic situation, they didn't have the support group to get them through it, etc. So for whatever reason, they experienced any form of trauma, it went untreated. I did touch on this earlier from the book Lost Boys, I quoted some of this. So next, this traumatized child kind of grows up, they have building feelings of loneliness, self-despair, isolation, etc. All things that would drive a person to suicide and very poor mental health. So what tips the scales, what eventually tips the scales towards mass shootings instead of simply suicide. I Oh, not simply suicide. What tips the scales towards mass shootings is that the hate they are feeling and those negative feelings become externalized to other people and often seen as a group of people. For example, a religious group, a school group, a sexuality, a gender, a race, etc. And nearly every mass shooter in history has followed some sort of basic replica of that timeline of life experiences and that sort of thinking. And it has just resulted in egregious violence over and over again. So, like I said, Professor Peterson and Densley, they, they argue that now that we have this example, or this profile, we can stop mass shootings in the future. But how? 
there's one problem with what they're thinking. They're saying that if we know someone, if we sit down, every person, and we circle everyone's name that has a story that matches this, we could stop all mass shootings. That's great. But if they have gone their whole lives feeling like this, and they're at a point that is dangerous enough to be considering mass shootings, they're not going to fucking talk about their problems, or they wouldn't be there in the first place. If they had the coping skills, and if they had the emotional connections and supportive group that I talked about in the first part, they wouldn't be experiencing untreated trauma, and they wouldn't be having such strong feelings of negative loneliness and self-despair that leads them to consider suicide and mass shootings and massive levels of violence. So it has to be stopped before it started. Because once this takes place, we can't... It's, it's too far. So what I'm saying is, as a parent, teach your son he can be emotional. And teach your son to talk about his anger and his sadness. And as a teacher, treat boys and girls the same when they're angry or when they're crying. No more of the big boys don't cry bullshit. How about try saying, like, use your words to everyone, to everyone. And as a coach, listen when your players talk and ask them about their day and ask them about school and their relationships and let them know that someone is there to listen to them. And then all of a sudden, what are they practicing? Communication, building supportive bases, bases. They feel heard and like someone wants to talk to them. And so at a young age in the classroom or as a parent or as a young coach or leader of an extracurricular group, you're teaching specifically boys that it's okay to start this communication and relationship progress. And then we can avoid that profile that these two professors created in the first place. So if these practices start young in our country, in America, mass shootings will be eradicated. If we limit gun culture, mass shootings will be limited. If we start raising boys how we raise girls and we find a middle ground on talking about our emotions and using our words to express anger and building supportive groups where men can talk about their feelings with each other between family members and with uh, genders and friends, mass shootings will be gone. And this is a national issue. It's a health issue, it's a feminist issue, it's a family and childhood issue, so everyone should be quite keen on how to find a solution to this problem. So I am going to wrap up this episode there. Uh, I know that this is a hard episode, it's sad, it's frustrating, it's stressful, Um, I'm going to leave you with one last quote. This is from Gloria Steinem. She says, How long do we give people the time to change? Or am I the only one so tired of fucking waiting? I feel like that nicely caps off this episode. I'm very tired of waiting for change to happen for this. I hope that we can all do our part socially, if it's not going to get there politically, We can do some social changes to keep ourselves safe. So I hope you all have a great month. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.